This episode of Feminist Hot Dog is dedicated to the memory of Frida Vandervalk. Please don't go, I need you so I... Lisa Ann Williamson, thank you so much for being on Feminist Hot Dog and helping me wrap up the first season of something I never thought that I would ever do in a million years. And here we are. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad you're doing this. And thank you so much for having me. It is my it is my pleasure. Um, you are my first guest who works in kind of the financial services mm. industry. Okay. Um, so I'm really happy to have you here because, um, well... Also, because I just think you're a fascinating conversationalist and you have a lot to say about being a woman and a feminist and a mom and a daughter and all of those things. Um, But also because I feel like money and talking about money and taking control of money is, I mean, it's hard for everybody, obviously. Um, And it, it can be, I think, especially hard for women because there are just a lot of layers involved mm-hmm. when you think about your financial life and choices and health and all of that. So, you know, who traditionally held the purse strings yeah. and who is actually responsible for squeezing every, you know, <laughs> squeezing the yes. life out of every dime and making sure the bills get paid and the children get fed and um, who is seen as an expert when it comes to investing and in money decisions and um, and who gets what messages about kind of the almost like the morality of pursuing wealth yes. and viewing ourselves as worthy of the, wealth. Yes, and that's a strong message that I see with a lot of women mm. that it's not okay that I want to build wealth um, in my lifetime. And it is so okay and it is so great to plan for that Mm -hmm. and talk about it. But we have all these messages tied to money, like it's the root of all evil and don't pursue it and don't tell anybody how much you make Mm -hmm. and don't talk to you. But if you stay in a bubble and you don't get any outside help, then your plan is not going to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And the research kind of bears that out. It's like people who are working with someone as a coach, as an advisor, are much more likely to achieve their ultimate goal than people who try to do it yourself. I would imagine part of that is just because you actually are saying your goal out loud, right? I mean, you're communicating... With another person instead of just living inside your mind with all of your uncertainties. That's it. And then that person is keeping you accountable. So it's like, oh, yes, you said you wanted to save for this occasion, Mm -hmm. this event. Oh, so don't get sidetracked. So, you know, so that that is helpful also. The accountability component. Oh, Mm -hmm. I I. Dare say I definitely need a little more accountability in my life when it comes to financial matters. I sort of, I, I am nodding along with all of this intellectually, but then I think about it and I'm like, is my, do I, am I practicing this? No. And most people are not. And, and sometimes we have no idea. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm relatively new in this space. So four years in, um, and I have learned so much and what I was doing in the past I would not have done. I would have made many, many, many different decisions had I known. Yeah. But we know that people do better when they know better. 
So it is my mission to make sure that I am empowering women and taking sort of that fear and frustration mm-hmm. out of financial planning. And it's very emotional too. So I get to step back from the emotional part and then just look logically at the plan. What makes sense? And then do you feel like because they are able to kind of see the plan through your eyes, it takes some of the emotional charge Absolutely. out of the out of that money Absolutely. relationship? Absolutely, because it's like it's so scary. They're holding on. They're not letting go. Mm. So it's like, and once you can sort of talk it through, once you see, oh, yeah, that can work. Oh, I see how putting something aside consistently will help me achieve my goal. And a lot of people, a lot of especially women are like, well, I'm going to wait until I make more money. Yeah. Um, and so I have the wonderful role model in my grandmother mm. who was a peace worker and sewed, you know, and so she hardly made any money. She was a single mother in the 1930s and she put money aside consistently and she tithed to her church because that was her belief. Yeah. But she made those things happen when there wasn't even hot running water in her um, apartment house. Wow. So, so she, she just made it all happen. And okay. So she listeners, was- if Lisa Ann's grandma <laughs> can do that in the thirties with no running water, there's no excuse for us. Really? That's it. There really is. And I have to kind of remind myself and get out of my way and just do it and remind myself, what is the, what is the goal that I'm trying to get to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, as a whole, we are not good at sort of delaying gratification. So if we can't see it right away, um, <laughs> then then we, we have second thoughts. We, you know, we, we backpedal, we do something different. But if we can just keep doing it, keep running, and I often compare sort of your financial wellness to your physical wellness mm. and how you, you don't start with a marathon on day one. So you're going to build up to it, you know, and you're going to do a little bit at a time and you're going to sort of flex those muscles and build those good habits. And then you're going to be rolling. Yeah. And, and build your and build your confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit more about you okay. and what um, what brought you to this role, what you like about it and kind of mm-hmm. what I mean, you, you talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to hear more about kind of the role you see yourself playing in people's lives when they start talking to, you know, when they do it, Mm -hmm. actually, get up the courage to start that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was a journalist for most of my life, and that was the career that I loved. And the things that I loved about journalism was sort of the research component um, and educating the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like I had a little bit of an impact So my transition into the financial world, I also feel like I have a tremendous impact. So not only am I changing the lives of the women sitting in front of me or men sitting in front of me, but for their children and their children's children, because this when you put your plan in place, it's not just for you. Mm. So it is for you and your community, the people you love, the causes you care about. And so you can do more. And one of the things that I really had a vision about, my daughter uh, went to public school here in Montgomery and um, her school did not have a um, dedicated gymnasium Mm. space. So they would have little fundraisers each year. One year they sold fruit. 
Um, the next year they sold laundry detergent because they were trying to raise enough money to fund this gym project. First they had to do the architecture and then they were going to build it. And I thought it would be amazing if I could just give them the money that they needed. Mm -hmm. And so that is possible when you make a plan and you're like, okay, this is what I'd like to do. This is how I would like to contribute to my community. And then you start putting things aside to do that. That's very inspiring. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It is. It is. And then, then when I'm sitting with people, we get easily distracted. (laughs) So, and sometimes the distractions are good, but when it comes to our money, it's like, oh, our best friend needs something. And so we're going to, you know, give her $500 um, when we haven't started our retirement plan. Right. Um, So we don't want to get distracted. We want to still be able to give and contribute. So we have, that's a budget, Mm -hmm, a line item mm -hmm. in our budget or our spending plan. And so then we can make that happen. And then when our friend says, oh, I need $500, you're like, I would love to give you $50. That is what I have. Right. Because that's what's in your spending plan. And you and I were talking before about how when I when I actually broke down and <laughs> made a budget <laughs> and then started recording what I actually spent. Mm-hmm. It was so wild because I thought I had done a really good job, like really thought through like, what do I actually spend money on? Okay. And when it came down to it, I was so off. And one <laughs> of the things that I spent a lot of money on that I didn't even think about was gifts for other people. Yes, and I would see something and be like, oh, so-and-so would just love that. Or like, you know, someone's getting married. I want to chip in yeah. on the, you know, and get it on with other friends and get them a big gift. And once I actually sort of added that up, I mean, it made it all of that makes me feel good. Yeah, it makes your heart sing. But like I think, sing. yeah, that could have been. <laughs> I could have probably helped make people feel cared about and seen and and thought about in ways that didn't add up to that giant number right i I just didn't know what the number was and then if it if it derails your original plan which it definitely did yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah so we want that not to happen and so sometimes if we just see it written down Mm -hmm. and like you said before if you say it out loud you see it written down then you know you can hold yourself accountable and you can start to to make some shifts and decide, okay, well, what do I really want to do? Yeah. And how can I, you know, do this? So, you know, one of the things when we're building that habit of saving, we want to save consistently about 20% of our income. Mm. And so, and that will put us in a good space for our retirement years because people are living longer in retirement. So we need to make sure that we have enough. Yeah. We don't want to outlive our money. Um, no, that sounds and terrible. And Walmart is a wonderful place. We may not want to be a Walmart greeter because mm-hmm. we can't find anything else at age 82 because our plan fell short. Yeah. So so we want to be able to, to do some different things and make some plans. So, Well, so. Do, you, do you have any other thoughts or observations about the ways that you see gender playing out in your role as I mean because you are kind of an expert in in a Mm -hmm. financial field where um I I imagine it is somewhat male dominated has that been your experience oh absolutely absolutely this is a male field and I'll tell you one funny story so when I started at New York Life um one of the incentive um um activities was pheasant hunting oh Um, (laughs) just like you love to do every weekend (laughs) So it's like, 
huh. <laughs> and then all of the analogies were kind of sports related. And um, so you, you kind of see now you're seeing sort of the shift. And mm. so there are more female advisors. And now women are wanting to meet with a female advisor um, because maybe it's not, maybe as a couple, if they were a married couple, they met with the husband's guy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so now she's feeling like I'd like to have my own person um, to talk through some things. And so, so it's a nice shift. And even in my company, some, some of the top producers are women. And so, excellent role models to look up for you can, you can do this mm-hmm. you know and it, it's not this big scary thing um that I thought it was when I was trying to figure out well what do I do how do I plan for myself in retirement put my daughter through school make sure my mom is taken mm-hmm. care of how do I do all those things yeah and so when I came to to my company it was kind of the merging of all of that that led me here very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, you mentioned your um, your mother who has recently passed. Yes, she I'm passed sorry. last year. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And your daughter. Yep. And so Their I'm... 11-year-old. Yeah, almost 12. <laughs> almost 12. She's planning her birthday party. That's so crazy. <laughs> um, so how can you talk a little bit about how you, your identity as a mom and a and a daughter, because I mean, you lived mm-hmm. in an intergenerational yeah. household for I mean, all of all of your daughter's life. Yes, she lived with much. her mom and grandma, and um, just how how do you see those two things interacting? So it it really is an amazing dynamic, and um, I will say, like mothers and daughters have a spectacular relationship, and it's one in my experience that. Um, I looked up to my mom, but I was becoming my own person and my own adult. But when I went back to my mom's house, I was 12 again. Mm -hmm. And so that was so frustrating and miserable for me. And so like I could only be in that space like maybe four days and then I had to kind of kind of leave. So when I was, you know, looking at the prospect of having my mom live with me, Mm -hmm. that caused me some angst. Um, but I thought it would be good because we, I got her here to, um, witness the first day of kindergarten for her granddaughter. Oh, that's wonderful. And that's, yes. So that's what brought her to Montgomery and, um, and then she's, she stayed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, so it, it had many, many wonderful, nice moments, moments of laughter. Um, but it was, my daughter said, she said, well, how old do I have to be? Until I get to tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent question. Because the roles shift. Right. And so I'm helping mom and I'm telling mommy what to what she can do and yeah. what she can eat. <laughs> so, so my daughter's like, I need some clarity here. What how old do I have to be? Is like six more months <laughs> when I'm 13. I think she thinks it's now. <laughs> I can I tell can I talk about what she said about her oh, period? Absolutely. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, yes. I have a couple Cindy stories that I want to tell because I just think your daughter's so cool. So she um does not want to talk about her period. Oh no. I am not allowed to say the word period or menstruation. But <laughs> but she refers to it as her administrator. <laughs> 
Which I think is actually totally brilliant because when you think about it, there's a lot. I mean, there's like a definite schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, not all the time. Um, it it sort of does kind of rule things for <laughs> for a while, days. you know. It, it, and it's something that you you know have to really pay attention to. And it does. There's just a <laughs> lot of layers uh, to that uh, name, which I think are I think really are. very observant. Yeah, of she's, her. she's really spectacular <laughs> in that way. And I was so excited about the prospect. Like I bought her the Thinks panties, and mm. and we were going to have a celebration. And she's like, Oh my gosh, no, no. I don't want to do this. God, mom, it's so embarrassing. I'm ruining her life again. Ruining her life. Well, the other Sydney story I wanted to tell was when I first moved here, and you very kindly invited me over for Thanksgiving. And Sydney, of course, lives in this multi generational, beautiful multi generational household with her mom and her grandmother. And, um, asked me if I had any children and I said, no, I don't have any children, but I have a dog. And she was clearly taken aback and, and felt, I obviously like felt sort of bad for me, (laughs) you know? And she said, Oh, you don't have any children. No, I have a dog. Does your dog have children? (laughs) (laughs) There's some generational thing happening. Do you like even have that going for you? And I said, no, um, Frida doesn't have any puppies. And then she said, she's going to be all alone. <laughs> that like, sounds like my child. I said, I think she'll be fine. <laughs> she'll be okay. But I just had to laugh so much because she oh clearly knew enough to know that she was like, it was probably impolite to say that. <laughs> to me yes but, but like she the could, dog, like it, it was, was like one <laughs> one step removed so that made it okay i will never forget that as long as i live that so is funny. hilarious yeah. that's hilarious yeah sydney that's my child so that dynamic with with mommy and and sydney like sometimes they would team up against me and i was like you guys <laughs> <laughs> to pipe down and my mom my mom had dementia so she would sometimes call me she said um you're the food preparer right <laughs> and like, is there going to be a um, meal among coming? other things <laughs> i have many talents <laughs> she's like no i'm gonna need some food on the table very soon <laughs> that is amazing well is there anything else about the, the wonderful world and, okay. and mind and heart of Lisa Ann that you would like to share? Oh, I'll tell you this journey of motherhood. So um, I adopted my daughter as an infant mm. and it was the most amazing thing that I have done. But people would come to me and they would say, oh, you're so selfless. You've done this fantastic thing. But it was really selfish of me. Because I really wanted to be a mom. Yeah. I really wanted to be a mom. And then once I did it, because I was trying to wait for the right circumstance, the you know, the right family structure and, mm. and all of that. Um, and then I ended up just doing it because I said this is the time. Yeah. Um, so um, so I did it as a single mom. And then I thought, why didn't I do this before? Mm-hmm. Because it was 
so amazing and she's so funny and and trying and smart and and all of that and so I get to witness that and then also I am an adopted child mm. so um so I'm kind of able to help her sort of navigate some of that yeah. you know if she has questions about the biology mm-hmm. and um and then what happens with that? And socially, especially here in, in uh, Montgomery, when we first moved here, it was just mommy and Sydney. And that had been our world and it had been fine. Um, but people questioned it. Where's your dad? Mm-hmm. Um and she'd say, well, I don't have a dad. And then people would kind of question her. And I had one uh, one of her preschool teachers in particular um I had to have a conference with her and I, I said, she said, well, she said she didn't have a father. And I was like, that's true. Our family structure is myself and my daughter. And she's like, but that's just not true. Everyone has a father. And I was like, biologically, right. Everyone has a father, but our household mm-hmm. is mother and daughter. Yeah. And I felt like I had to fight for it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it was just like she's like, but no, every everyone does. I was like, well, in our household, that is not no. the reality, <laughs> ma'am. <laughs> That's so interesting too, because what what's what is her end game in even pushing that point like you need to go out and find I guess her so. a father I mean that like, just seems but, and then the conversation eventually turned to where she said well yeah I had been thinking of adopting also um but I'm a single woman and I was like well you can do it yeah go ahead I'm here to tell you that it's possible it is yeah. it is but it's it's been very interesting and so now as an adolescent sometimes there's more pressure mm-hmm. to to have you know a traditional family structure yeah um even though along her path and some of her friends there have been single moms single dads you know two-parent households um so but she's trying to find her own way yeah and so and I'm going to let her do that, ask any questions that she needs to ask mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just be here for her to navigate that. Yeah, well, that's okay. I think that's the, the role of the mom. It is. <laughs> well, I think that's a perfect segue into what has made our feminist hearts sing lately. Awesome. And um, I. Is it okay if I go first? You can go first. Okay. It's your podcast. It's my podcast <laughs> and I'll go first if I want to. Um, so the, what has made my feminist heart sing lately is that I have been getting the most wonderful, thoughtful gifts from Aww. listeners and former guests. And this is not a, a ploy to say that um, you have to get me a gift. I just realized <laughs> that that might come out that way, but that's not what I meant. Um, one of the gifts that I got is a book by Jeff Blackwell and Ruth Hobday. Um, and it, it is a book called 200 Women Who Will Change the Way You See the World. That's a beautiful. Can I just say that even the cover is beautiful mm-hmm. and the photography is beautiful, but you go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's that's part of why I wanted to kind of have it in my hands and, and mm-hmm. share it with you um, because and the photography is by, um, I think, a, a man named Kieran Scott. Kieran, it sounds like a 
Hmm, it could maybe, go either way. Go either I'm way. not You're sure. Right. You're right. <laughs> I think it could be anyone. Um, but so this is a, a giant sort of coffee table book with beautiful, full color photographs of women from all over the world, all walks of life, many, many different mm. professions. Some of them you'll definitely, you, you will definitely have heard of. So um, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, awesome. Shimamanda Adichie, Gillian Anderson. I mean, there's like a lot of folks who are like very recognizable. Awesome. Um, but then there's a lot of people who are just um, doing really spectacular things that mm-hmm. maybe are having a great impact on the world or on other women, but we wouldn't necessarily know who they are. So um, I love this because it was kind of like, um, sort of like the hot dog hall of fame come to life. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 200 and you women. just get, to, I mean, you can like open any page and read these beautiful, I mean, these super inspiring quotes, see these mm. amazing photographs, um, women of all different ages and from, you know, from all different parts of the world. So um, I highly I recommend that. it. I think it's great. I think it's something that, um, and I like having it in my house as sort of um you know, kind of on display is like, this is a, this is something that I really value and, and think that other people want fantastic. to learn about. So yes, what a great, yes. what a great gift. Thank you to oh, the, awesome. to the gift giver. I hope she's listening. Um, the second one is this little tiny little, it's a hard red hardcover book. It's very small. It's like the size of a paperback and, it is called Marked Trails for Girls, oh. and it is by a woman named Grace Sloan Overton. It was published in 1931, and um, so I'm just going to read the foreword. Because okay. when I first got this, I was like, "What is this? Oh, I don't cool, totally though. understand." I thought maybe it was like a girl, like a scouting. Okay, like I took trail very literally, yes, um, but, yes. it, but it is not. It is so. Here's what the foreword said. Marked Trails for Girls is meant to be a girl's own book. It is with the sincere wish that it may help girls find markers for their trails, which will lead them safely to happy womanhood that we send this book out. That's awesome. To every girl into whose hands it comes, be she rich or poor, black or white, of any station or any race, may she find here some answer to her quest for truth, inspiration, and happiness. It's really <laughs> interesting. So I liked oh. how there was sort of um, an, a nod to some inclusion in the foreword. Yes. I thought that was cool. And there are some things in here that I feel I'm I'm down with. Like there are some messages. Um, like, okay, here's, for example, uh, at the beginning of chapter two, it says, all your life you must live with yourself. You cannot get away from yourself. <laughs> this sounds simple, but after all, it is one of life's most serious facts. And wow. I think that that's that something is really yeah, true. Yeah, this was a whole chapter about basically like being okay with who you are. I love it. Um, which which I think is oh, I love is it. cool. And then, in nineteen thirty one. In nineteen thirty one. But then there's also lots of like real problematic stuff Uh-oh. too. <laughs> Gotta have good with the bad, I suppose. <laughs> and it's it's what you would imagine, right? For the yes. time. So um this is about like a girl and her life's work. Um 
finding finding and and I like it that they even sort of talk about the the idea that you might have a job. Okay. Um, there are little quotes at the beginning of all these chapters, and most of them are from men, which I think is kind of weird. But oh. um, <laughs> this one. Um, so the things that you need to pay attention to if you're trying to get a job um, are having a neat, clean, and attractive personal appearance. Oh. And then this is my favorite part. Uh, oh, and the, yeah, there's a story in here about um, a businessman who came and talked to the author because he had this wonderful secretary who was just so good at her job, but her personal appearance oh. was not pleasing to him. And so he had to fire her. No. Yes. So that was like a cautionary tale <gasps> of like, girls, you have to have your hair arranged and your fingernails oh, clean and your, you know, wear attractive dresses. Otherwise, you know, you would be so you repugnant. Be yeah. So gross. Here's another thing well, we that was some laws in place now. Yeah, <laughs> things have help that. changed a little bit. Uh, here's another one that's a little bit um, questionable. Well, very questionable. Quiet efficiency. <laughs> the loud, boisterous girl wears on people. However, you may be employed as a doctor's assistant, a stenographer in a business office, or a clerk. <laughs> wow those are, those are your options because yeah those were the options. um there will be others wow. near you trying to carry on their work a light step an accurate <gasps> movement and quiet but distinct voice all help make you efficient and keep you from interfering with the efficiency of others so basically oh, like wow. take up as little space yes. as possible so there's i mean it's a and mixed bag that, but you, and you have to know that Mothers were telling their daughters that same thing mm-hmm. at, over the dinner table. Yeah. Don't be too loud. You know, look this way, speak this way, and then you would be more successful. Right. Um, and so, and, and I think in some ways we still have a little bit of that. I think we have um, a lot of that. And I mean, unfortunately, it's true because mm-hmm. women unfiltered are so un, unpalatable yeah. to, in you know, to, to, men and also to some extent to other women who, mm-hmm. you know, we internalize misogyny yes. in a pretty serious way. Yes. Um, it's probably actually true, um, mm-hmm. but it is not right. And no. it is not something we should accept. And it's um, mm-hmm. certainly not something, but I just think this That's book is just, fascinating. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really, um, like I said, I like um, some of the messages I think actually were pretty progressive for 1931, okay. but then a lot of it is just like, but it's a nice kind of, um, history of what was going on, a yes. cultural history. Yeah, for sure. Here's, you know, here's what we can do. Oh, now we we can be clerks. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to be quietly doing that. Yeah, Actually, and that's the wonderful thing about being alive at this time. Yeah, so many amazing things are happening for women, and we are just crushing it in so many different ways and arenas and I love that and even being the mother of a daughter um, there are some things that I find a little bit frustrating but I remind myself this is the skill that's going to serve her well mm-hmm, as an adult mm-hmm. knowing her mind being able to say what it is that she likes or does not like yeah and I, I have to encourage that. Well, especially <laughs> yeah. as a black girl, I think that, you know, that mm-hmm. is something that, you know, she's got many, many messages that she's contending yes. with and, ad- and an adopted child. You know, there's a lot yes. of a lot of layers to her identity. And it, I think that the fact that you're so open with her about all of that is just great. That's, so can I share one thing that made my heart sing? Yes, please do. Okay. 
So um, I went to a uh, book signing for a friend of mine who is an artist and has done a coloring book for adults as a relaxation. Oh, yeah. And her name is Ifraj Suad. And um, she had a coloring party as the book signing, which was so amazing. And I always love being in the company of women Mm -hmm. because women are some of the wisest souls that I have encountered and so open and willing to share and give. And I, I love that. So this room was full of beautiful women. Um, and there were, some were sitting on the floor, some were sitting at tables, and they were just all coloring. There was some little music in the background, but it was the most amazing thing. And they'd all come together to support her new venture. That and sounds I like just, magic. I love that. Oh, I that's love fantastic. That. Mm-hmm. It was it was amazing to be a part of it. Did you find the coloring did it did it ease your it soul? Did. It and then so I started my little coloring and my daughter was with me and um and then we looked over at somebody who had done the same um picture as I had, but so different. It yeah. was totally different. I was like, this is amazing how creative and brilliant we all are Mm -hmm. and we all have different perspectives and different ways of putting things together yeah and that is it it's tremendous it's tremendous so that made my heart sing yay (laughs) awesome um well the other thing i was going to mention it just kind of going back to this being the end of the first season Mm -hmm. and i think as i've been kind of thinking about that and and realizing that that was true i just can't believe that four months ago this show wasn't even like a glimmer in my eye right and now we're wrapping up season one so i i Another thing that just makes my feminist heart sing is how much I have learned from Mm -hmm. really sitting down and asking. And most of, not all, but most of the women I've talked to this season are people who are known to me and who I've known for years. You know, you and I have known each other for several years. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, have we ever really sat down and talked about like, our passions, our journey. I mean, yes, a to an extent, bit. but yeah. like it, I just feel like it has opened up this opportunity to really understand so much more about like the dreams and inspirations of people yes. that I see and talk to all the time and have never really got, you know, gotten that deep with. And it makes me feel like I'm living in this kind of magical library where oh, every cool. wim- woman in my life is like a volume filled with mysteries and spells and amazing insights. And like when I started Feminist Hot Dog, I got my library card. So I, I kind of got That's to like awesome. access all this magic and I just love it. Okay. So I, And can I say yeah. I am so grateful that you have done this because I have learned so much listening to it. I um, You turned me on to a podcast called Beyond 60... Oh, Beyond 6, six Seconds? 6 Seconds. Yes. 6 Seconds. That's a great one. And the first one that I um, that I listened to it was episode twenty three of I don't know how many but um, it was about an alternative wellness um, I'll say collaborative mm-hmm. um, in Ohio and the woman who's the founder is amazing like she had cancer and was able to treat it with some alternative modalities along with some traditional medicine. Um, and so just that knowledge base and it sort of goes back to women are willing to share yeah. and give. And, you know, I was at the grocery store and um, 
this woman was buying all this okra. And I was like, what are you going to do with that okra? And she's like, oh, I make this okra water and it's so good for you. And it it reduces your blood pressure. And you know, I've never heard of okra water. Oh, my goodness. So and cool. She, but she was willing to just stand there. And a lot of times we get so busy and, and sort of in tunnel vision about our days. Yeah. But if you just take a moment, like you have this platform where women can take a moment Mm -hmm. and just share their insights and share their beauty. And thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you for for listening and for being a part of it. It it has definitely improved the quality of my life and happiness, which is what I really needed at the time. (laughs) So so now season two, I'll just give a little plug for season two, um, Mm -hmm. which is coming up and I'm starting to branch out um, and I've made contact with all of these amazing women I've met through social media and other platforms since starting this podcast. And so I'll be talking a lot more to women who I don't necessarily have personal relationships with, but who are just doing very unique and interesting things in the world and Mm. and who I just think have, uh, will have a lot of insights to offer. So I'm, I'm exploring a new branch of the library. I can't wait. I can't wait. I think this letter is it's perfect for your guest spot. Okay. Um, So here we go. Dear feminist hot dog. My husband and I are not on the same page about money. When we were younger and he, excuse me, let me start over. When we were younger and we didn't make a lot of money, it didn't matter as much because we just paid the bills and that was it. Now I am committed to making sure we do things like take trips and give to charity, but all he wants to do is put it in the bank, quote unquote, for a rainy day. I know saving is important, but I want to enjoy our life together as well. And I don't believe that dying with a big pile of money is the way to do that. It's not that we are rich, but we have worked hard in our careers. And I think we deserve to see some corresponding growth in our lifestyle and also in our relationship with the community. Love it. Um, I am not even sure how much of our differences are due to his feelings about money or his feelings about not wanting to travel with me or support the causes I care about. Mm -hmm. So on top of feeling like I can't do the things I want, I am starting to take his attitude personally. I think we need therapy, but is there such thing as a financial therapist? (laughs) Signed, yearning for adventure. Oh, dear yearning. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So... We often see in couples that kind of opposites attract, we're going to have a saver and a spender, and then we want to come together somehow. But one of the things that I love about the process that I take people through is I ask, what is important about money to you? And so then this is a time that people can talk about, oh, you know, it's security, it's, it's freedom, it allows for experiences, but it can be as diverse as your fingerprint Mm. so so and everyone has so once we get sort of to the what is important that's the value of why you work why you save then we talk about some goals yeah and we write down the goals so travel would be one of the goals because that is what yearning wants to do that's what makes her heart sing Mm -hmm. and so she should be able to do some of that I agree with her 
And so I think, though, having an open conversation about that um, with someone who can understand those dynamics, I wear many hats <laughs> in my practice. <laughs> You're like, I'm not technically a marriage counselor, <laughs> like, no. but... But yeah, and you can see um, the willingness uh, with, uh, with which a couple will talk about it or not talk about it. Um, and you kind of... I kind of cringe sometimes. I was like, oh, that's not so healthy. But just starting that conversation, sometimes it's difficult. Mm. Um, but having somebody in the room that can say, yes, you can save for a healthy retirement. Yeah. And you can go on vacation. And if vacation is not something that you love to do, then your wife really needs that to, to feed her soul. Yeah. So let's make that a line item. Yeah. And maybe... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it does sound like there's sort of two different things going on here. Maybe there's the saver and spender dynamic, but mm-hmm. also she's, it sounds like she's, she's wondering if there, if it's more than that, mm-hmm. which might, I mean, cause I know, I also know couples who take vacations separately mm-hmm. and don't mm-hmm. think there's a thing wrong with that. Cause sometimes it works for them. Yeah. And if it works for you. And so I have been married before. And so it, it is very interesting about, you know, how you learn about the other person. And sometimes you get it a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're like, well, that's not what they said initially. Yeah. <laughs> so they sent their representative. But, you know, but it's an opportunity for you to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And if it would, and I get from her letter that she wants her husband to travel with her. I think so too. Um, so that seems like a separate conversation. Um, and there might be some insecurity on his part about, you know, will we have enough to retire? Will, you know, will we outlive our money? Um, so there might be some of those thinkings, but you've got to sort of begin with the end in mind. What do we need for retirement? And what, do we need now so that we can live a wonderful life? Yeah. Cause you don't want to have to wait until retirement to travel. So let's have some wonderful experiences now and we can plan for that. It seems to me like maybe this might send him over the edge, but I, I've maybe marriage counseling and financial mm-hmm. counseling, because mm-hmm. if it truly is that he's just insecure about having enough money, if that insecurity could be assuaged yes. a little bit, then maybe then you could then start talking more about the other pieces. Mm-hmm. Is this about not wanting to spend time together or not sharing the same values about giving money? You know, is because yes. that might be something that he um, is using the mm-hmm. saving yes. um, sort of frugality mm-hmm. as like I'm gonna I'm gonna y- yes exactly mm-hmm. as a mask um, mm-hmm. and so I don't have to address these other issues and yeah. so if you could address one then maybe it opens up the opportunity to mm-hmm. dig a little deeper with the other that's right and just open conversation and putting everything on the table here's what I want to do yeah what do you want to do <laughs> um, can we find a middle ground so that we both feel like we have been heard, we've been fed, mm-hmm. um, and then we're going to be okay. I wonder too, I mean, it doesn't say anything about this in the letter, but she does mention, you know, being younger and not having any money. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. these conversations were like not relevant because yes. there was no money. Yes, there was <laughs> to no talk about. To, yes. um, and it, and two, I mean, sometimes I think this does really get back to how you were raised. And like, if he is from a family that 
didn't have any extra money and yes. is like like doesn't maybe kind of almost like emotionally feels like doing going on vacation or giving money away would be wasteful yes. or irresponsible that yes. might be um she might be mistaking his mm-hmm. that for her his for him not wanting to spend time with her right. and so i i would hesitate to um send you know to have her put too much assumption on why because Mm -hmm. without really getting into and he may be feeling at this point because she's like well she's never asked for vacations before Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it may be something new that um, maybe makes him a little bit uneasy yeah um and so there's there's so many possibilities but we can't know until we have an open conversation yeah yeah so um getting back to that Naming the goal That's and right. having the conversation That's so right. important. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you. I, I knew you would have some very wise words for poor, for poor yearning. Wise. Yes, thank they you. definitely were. Good luck, yearning. <laughs> All right. Well, we're ready to talk about the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Okay. And I would love it if you went first. All right. I will go first and I will be able to see. So I would like to present for consideration... <laughs> Annie Turnbow Malone. Okay. So I picked Annie one because she was an entrepreneur and I am also an entrepreneur. Um, she's an ed- she was an educator. Um, I am an educator. Uh, she's an inventor, which I'm not yet. Um, there's still time. There's time. There's so much time. And uh, she's a philanthropist. So many of us have heard of Madam C.J. Walker, mm-hmm. who was a millionaire in the hair care industry. Well, Annie was actually a mentor, even oh. though she was a couple years younger than um, Madam C.J. Walker, but they were both in the hair care industry. And actually, Madam C.J. worked for Annie Malone's company, um, her hair care products, which was called the Poro, P-O-R-O. Um, and then she built a Poro college and she trained thousands of women um, in hair care. And she kind of developed this out of the the need which is why i'm so i get so excited about women because we are so creative mm-hmm. um and we come up with such fantastic things that didn't exist before but she was looking for for things for hair straightening and didn't like what she saw an aunt of hers was an herbalist and um so she took what her aunt knew um and combined it with what she knew of chemistry like she was really into chemistry then and she put it together to create these products so um let's see she was born in metropolis illinois and I'm also from Illinois. <laughs> so she was born in, let's see, uh, 1869. Okay. Can you imagine? 1869. Um, and then she she did all these things. She Her first product was called the Great Wonderful Hair Grower. I like it. <laughs> That would have great SEO if you uh, if it were in the age of the internet. I know that was yes, yes, she was before her time. So so she had the hair care, um, she had cosmetology, um, and she moved from Illinois to St. Louis because there was a larger customer base, and then that is where she began to train assistants to go door to door. 
Um, and so, and we've seen other models. I've been involved with Mary Kay. So, mm-hmm. so I had lots of connections um, to this woman. So the Poro College employed about 200 people at one time and trained 75,000 women wow. in the workforce. And I was like, this is amazing. So in 1917, she actually bought a city block and built a school. The, and that was the Poro College. And then so not only was she an entrepreneur and sort of making this, this money, but then she was giving. Mm-hmm. So um, she gave to Howard University. She gave to Tuskegee University here in Alabama. Right down the road. Yes. And her gift to Howard of, I think it was $25,000, was the largest gift from an individual, one of the largest from an individual at that time. Wow. And she was considered one of the wealthiest. And one of the measures of wealth was how much you paid in taxes. Interesting. And so in 1923, she paid um, just under $40,000 in taxes. Girl. So, yep. So she, yeah, she was doing things. And so now the reason we don't hear about her as much as Madam CJ is because her company came under attack. She came under attack. There were some lawsuits. She was divorced. Her husband tried to take the business. Mm. Um, but so women rallied to her defense. Mary um, Bethune was one one of those women because they had developed a relationship. And so Mary helped her be able to keep her business and sort of come up with a settlement for the ex-husband. Awesome. Yes. So that's the power of women. Yes. So so that's good. So uh, let's see. Um, what else about her? She helped um, to build the, uh, they called it colored at that time, mm-hmm. the colored YMCA mm-hmm. um, in St. Louis. And um, she was on several boards and she served as board president of the St. Louis Colored Orphans Home. And then she was able to construct that building. So that's one of the powers about entrepreneurship that I love. You have kind of... Um, an unlimited potential, not only for income, but for giving. Yeah. And so, and so that's what drew me to her. And that's why I wanted to sort of let people know about her. Well, I think she definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Welcome. Welcome to Annie Annie. Malone. Thank you. I am so happy to know her name because I had no idea that that she was out there, especially in the like late 19th century, early 20th century. Yes. That's super impressive. Making it happen. Well, I am nominating Yayoi Kusama, who is a Japanese avant-garde abstract artist. Oh, wow. And the reason I'm a little obsessed with her right now is that I just went to see uh, her an exhibit of her work in Atlanta last weekend <gasps> called um, Infinity Mirrors. Oh, wow. And I didn't, I mean, I'd heard of her before, but I didn't really know anything about her life. Okay. And this was really kind of a, a pretty comprehensive retrospective. I mean, she's still alive. She's okay. almost, not, she turns 90 in March. Wow. She still makes art every day. <gasps> I love it. <clears throat> yeah, she's very, um, oh my goodness, very prolific. So she was born in 1929. She had a really active imagination and a really visual um eye and was very artistic from a very young i mean she was painting at age 10 she was was, had paintings in galleries at at age 16 she actually had um 
like a correspondence with Georgia O'Keeffe um, as a, when she was a, when um, Yayoi was a very young woman. Okay. Um, asking her about um, making it as an artist in the United States. And Georgia O'Keeffe wrote back. Georgia O'Keeffe was um, kind, but cautionary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> warned her that it was it was a hard hard um road to hoe which i imagine it was yeah. um but anyway so she had a very a pretty messed up childhood her mom was really abusive and her dad mm. was kind of i guess kind of a um a philanderer and oh. had a lot of affairs and his and her mom would like send her to go spy on her dad so she would like see her dad having oh, sex all the no. time which is real fucked up so she had a, this very complicated relationship with sex and didn't mm-hmm. want to have sex and just had this very negative i mean wow. that's just so super abusive yeah. thing to do yeah. to your kids so that's um terrible. you it, you see this um in some of her sculptures so she was not only a painter but a sculpture, and she also created installations, okay. which I'll talk about in a minute, and also um, did performance art, made films, wow. wrote poems, wrote novels. I mean, she is like any, basically like medium, she has worked in it. That's she's amazing. super talented and prolific, and she's truly one of those people who you can just tell from looking at her art, um, which has changed and evolved a lot over the years, Okay, that um, it has some sort of similar th- themes um but that she is someone who has this creativity like bubbling inside of her and it has to come out somewhere i mean she just like cannot not make art so um which is kind of amazing so she started having hallucinations also as a as a very young person Mm. um seeing colors seeing a lot of um Feel, you know, feeling like she's being enveloped by giant flowers. Wow. She would see, and she, you'll notice um, if you look at her work that there is, she is obsessed with polka dots. She puts Ooh. dots on everything. <laughs> Big dots, little dots, colored dots, dots that are perfectly symmetrical, dots that aren't. She's just like crazy about dots. Interesting. Um, and that, and she also has this, is she, there are several themes that work, that come out in her work. So one is called um, self obliteration, mm. and the she would these were the th- themes of some of the performance pieces that she did, which were called happenings, and they were also um, in the 1960s after she had moved to New York. They often um, corresponded also with protests of the Vietnam War. So it was the okay. idea of like we need to <clears throat> kind of obliterate the self to really understand the connections between people and that those connections are, are so sort of fundamentally necessary. So I'm not sure if I'm articulating this totally right, but that was kind of my interpretation from, from seeing the exhibit. Um, The polka dots too sort of represent the world, but also individuals in the world. Mm. But then you sort of put them all together in these different ways and you know what that means. And then finally the, the concept of infinity um, and being able to just kind of create a um, a visual um, illusion that goes on forever, which is where the infinity mirror idea comes in. And so these are our rooms essentially 
that are mirrored in such a way that you walk in and you close the door and then the mirrors reflect each other and it goes on forever and oh, you're wow. part of it. So yeah. That's amazing. So, it was that just, just gave me chills. I know. It's really, really deep. And so the some of the rooms have lights and some of the rooms have sculptures and there was a room that had these pumpkins, like these glowing oh, wow. pumpkins everywhere. So it's like you and the pumpkins like in, you know, in, in infinity. So all you know really really badass so she you know was a very influential avant-garde artist in um in new york and kind of was be, was like a friendly rival of andy warhol oh, okay. um but of course we didn't don't hear about her as much um right. as andy warhol but i i would venture to say that she actually had quite a bit more going on i mean he of course okay. had the factory and and had this really famous pop art but she was doing all i mean so the, many so much wow yeah um and what i lo- love about her is how um i mean she also a lot of her sculptures are essentially like soft sculptures of phalluses like repeated mm. over and over and over and over again so she would okay. put phalluses all over like chairs and rowboats and <laughs> like furniture and there were some of the infinity mirrors have these phalluses all over the place so she was like you know what i'm really fucked up about sex but i'm gonna get over it by making like a million penises (laughs) and putting them um all over my artwork exactly (laughs) totally which i think is like really um amazing and then also she was you know she part of the reason she left japan is because she was not comfortable with um how women were regarded in Japanese culture, but she also was very critical of how Asian women were stereotyped in the United States. And she was never afraid to use her. I mean, it's kind of an interesting combination. She's this abstract sort of avant-garde pop artist, Mm -hmm. but she was never afraid to use that as a statement about the role of women in these two cultures that she straddled. Um, And also she was never afraid to use her, um, art for activism and to critique what she saw as social and political hypocrisy. Wow. So, and I think that Good sometimes, yeah, I mean, I, I, yep. I think sometimes you really see people lean way more to one or the other. Mm-hmm. And in her case, or if they're using their, um, their art as a critique, it's much more literal. Okay. And then this, but this is so abstract. I mean, the fact that she was sort of able to do wow. that um, so effectively Mm-hmm. it's through so many different media it's just i just am kind of blown away by her so um so i mentioned the happenings the film she also when she moved back to japan in the 70s and started writing novels and this is interesting mm. fact about her too and one that was really minimized in the exhibit um that i went mm-hmm. to but she lives in a mental institution in Japan Mm -hmm. and she actually voluntarily took up residency in that hospital in the late 70s and and eventually permanently uh, and has lived there ever since and she yeah so her studio is nearby and is you know she's there voluntarily so she she leaves and and goes to the studio and works there every day but that is where she lives and I do think that she is someone who is another uh, an example of um someone who I mean obviously if you're having the level, the kinds of hallucinations that mm-hmm. she was having as a child mm-hmm. and throughout her whole life. I mean, yeah. she truly mm-hmm. feels that art has saved her life as a wow. person with a mental illness. And I think, why don't, why, I feel like the exhibit kind of missed an opportunity mm-hmm. to really speak about yeah, mental illness. Exactly. In ways that people live 
with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and mm-hmm. in in this case just made this fabulously successful wow. career yeah. and have you know have changed thousands of people's lives. Wow. So I just I'm very, very, very um, pleased to um, induct her, Yayoi Kusama, oh. into the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Yayoi, welcome. This is awesome. I know. I learned so much. I know. It's so great. <laughs> I feel like we got to, maybe they'll be in the next, um, maybe Annie and Yayoi will both be in the next 200, okay. 200 women. Book. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Lisa Ann, I have enjoyed our conversation so much. This has been fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you again. No, Thank you so much. Thank you. Being here. Um, for those of you listening, thank you for being here. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And go to um, feministhotdog.com, sign up for our newsletter. So while we're on a break, you can peruse old episodes. If you sign up for the newsletter, you can also be the first to pre order some merchandise that we are going to be working on over the break. Yeah. So get get yourself on the newsletter so you don't miss out. And we'll be back in a few short weeks with um with all the excitement of season, season two. two. Yay. So thanks again. Our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. And as always, love yourself and love your buns. Bye.